Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to this episode on money and you might be wondering why an episode on the topic of money well money is an area that affects so many of us and has similar and often very interlinked patterns um, as sex which we talk a little bit about in this podcast and there is no better woman to invite to speak on this subject than Barry Tesla and Barry is a pioneer in the field of financial therapy and author of The Art of Money and founder of The Art of Money School. And she's one the first to merge the fields of financial therapy with self-love practices in a very embodied way. And so in this conversation today, we talk about a range of topics such as why money is very taboo and can feel difficult to talk about, how to heal and change your relationship with money. And she gives some great practical suggestions from her methodology and also for example how couples can improve their relationship with money how to talk about it and she shares a four-step framework for that so there's some really great practical uh, wisdom and advice from Barry's many many years of working in this field and I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did Welcome to today's episode of the Sexy Life podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Barry Tesla. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I had, you know, when I was looking at guests for the podcast, you just, your book just jumped out of my bookshelf, actually because um, you've written a wonderful book called The Art of Money, which I'm going to invite you to share around. And when I first got this book, it was a revelation to read the synthesis and the body of work that you've created. So including money around somatic practice and healing and emotions and all these things. And so it's so I, so I just really wanted you to come on the podcast to share about this work because I feel your body of work is a, a, a message that the world needs to hear. So I'd really love to hear from you about what it is that you do and how you got into this work. Yes. So thank you. I appreciate hearing that about my book, you know, and that you're in the UK and we folks all over the world reading it, but it's, it's heartwarming for me to hear that. So I consider myself a financial therapist and I've been doing my money work for 21 years now. A decade before that, I trained as a psychotherapist, as a somatic psychotherapist, and which we can talk about more. But my work now is that I created a methodology that integrates financial literacy and emotional literacy. 
And I have always loved teaching that in groups. And 21 years ago, there were very small groups of 10 people that I, you know, led over and over and over, you know, every six weeks. And then that moved to 20 people and 50 people. And then eventually a decade ago, I opened up my year long program. And we always have 300 to 500 students each year. And I take them through my methodology, which consists of money healing, money practices, and money maps, and have a whole team that supports that. And sometimes I do private sessions with women or couples and creative entrepreneurs. And um, yeah, one book and a second book that's being published May 31st, coming soon. And I'm about to launch my very first mentorship program as well um, in May. So that's a teeny bit about my work. (laughs) Wonderful. So how did you get into this work? So as I mentioned, I, I trained in my 20s as a somatic psychotherapist, and I did not know what I wanted to do with my work and my livelihood and my life, right? My, my work life until I was 24. So, you know, I grew up as a dancer, then that seventh grade report that we had to write on what we wanted to be when we grew up was a businesswoman. I didn't know what kind, you know, and then I asked to go to therapy psychotherapy when I was a teenager, when I was 16. So I I feel I've integrated the movement dancer, the businesswoman, you know, the psychotherapist interest. When at 24, I decided I was going to go to graduate school and study somatic therapy, right? So in my 20s, that's what I was doing. And my favorite topics were body, sexuality, sensuality, um, grief, death, intimacy. And I really thought those would be my topics. And they still are, right? But what happened was the school loan came due. And when I graduated, and I just flipped out, because it was a moment where it was a large number, number one, number two, I looked back on my training as a psychotherapist, and it it just was shocking to realize we had zero training on how to work with our own money relationship, what are the emotions that come up, how to start our own private practices and do the bookkeeping, how to work with couples. If, you know, on the surface, the number one reason that couples get divorced is money, right? It's, it's never really about the money. It's the, right, the deeper stuff that comes up, which we'll talk about. But it, it was so shocking to me that it was completely left out. We didn't even have discussions around money that I just realized either I'm going to run away and never pay my student loans and like just travel the world, you know, which was an option. Or I was going to face it head on, just like I did every other big, scary topic in my life. I learned everything I could from the ground on up. I wound up learning bookkeeping, which blew me away that as a creative dancer, therapist person, I could even do. And then at some point, I started training other people to do their own bookkeeping. At some point, Uh, you know, I put together a little methodology and my husband said, oh, that's financial therapy. And I was one of the very first people to be using that term. And now it's become the whole field. So it was, you know, it was something that I needed desperately. It was something that was left out of my graduate school education as a therapist. But when I look back further, it was left out of all of my training. And I received a little bit from my parents. And, you know, my first thought was, well, I'm alone in this, you know, and there was shame and how to understand that. And pretty quickly, I realized when I looked around in my community, folks from all different lineages, all different economic class backgrounds, 
all different, you know, eventual income levels. We all had strengths around money. We all had challenges around money. Most of us had shame around money. It, it just, it, 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 it's a, at some point early on, I realized I'm not alone, right? And um, most of us did not receive a full financial education. There's lots of missing pieces. And also early on, I realized that if I was going to do this work for myself, one, it had to bring in the deeper meaning for me. It had to bring in some creativity and playfulness. It had to bring in all the practices that I was living in my life, separate from my relationship to money. And number two, which was really probably number one, is that I had to bring the somatic tools. I had for myself, and then it was the very first tool, the body check-in, to begin to learn, you know, what are the set of emotions that come up around money for you? It might be all of them, you know, in different moments. And we can talk about, you know, shame and anxiety and anger and sadness and all the one, all the money emotions that come up. But it was so apparent to me that my somatic training was the foundation. And then all the practices that I was already living, you know, at that time needed to be included um, and wound up just creating this methodology that I needed and so many people around me and brought it to my community and, and grew in small increments from there. Wow, <laughs> what a story. And I know that's probably just the surface of it. And yes. just, it's just so inspiring to hear when people follow those challenges in their lives and the doors that opened up and here you are creating this body of work which I'm sure you could have never imagined 30 years ago. I could have never have imagined and I'll say one more thing there was a little detour after my graduate program you know I'd been working in the mental health field and hospice all through those years to get my hours to write the thesis to graduate and you know at some point I wound up taking a detour and learning bookkeeping and having a little bookkeeping job in a little cubicle um, for two years is what I thought would be a break from all the mental health work. Um, but it wound up, you know, calming my mind, give me, giving me another skill set. I wound up making more money as a bookkeeper than with a, uh, in the mental health field as a social worker at the time with the master's degree. And I wound up running a bookkeeping business for other therapists, coaches, and artists for a few years. And I always say, I learned more about human nature and our spending patterns and our income patterns and cash flow and all of that um, by running the bookkeeping business than if I had done therapy during, I was 28 to 32 mm. years old. So that was a really odd seemingly detour that was so important for me. And I just knew I had to trust it. And then that's where the methodology came out of that. And eventually at the age of 32, I put all my somatic training together with all the very practical money systems that I was learning. That's mm. the other piece. Yeah. Wow. And I'm guessing that was such an intimate um, peek under the bonnet of people's lives to see how they run their books and all of what comes up with that. And it's funny because what you share, I could almost change the words money for sex. So there's so much resonance with my field of the challenges with sex, feeling as I was alone, feeling the shame for not being able to be comfortable with this area of my life and finding it so difficult. And then the shame, realizing that I wasn't alone. And so many people experience challenges, the lack of education, the shame, the taboo, all of these things. So it's, it's, it's some interesting parallels there. 
You bet. And I think there are with any of the big major areas of life, right? There are, you know, and yes, so (laughs) many parallels to, yes, to to the big themes, which is, you know, money, sexuality, grief, um, race issues, you know, and right, and so on. Absolutely. So there's so much to explore here. So I'd love to start with uh, an overview of the model that you created because you have these three wonderful areas I'd love you to speak to those to give people a sense of the work that you do in your groups yeah so I you know this came about as I said at 32 I decided it was time to integrate you know my past training as a psychotherapist with all these practical money systems and I had a, a mentor a woman who called me to the table, you know, she, she said, it's time for you to give a talk on, on your method, on your work. I think she said, and I was like, what, what are you talking about? You know, like I love to work one-on-one or one, you know, with couples, but I still was very afraid to speak. I'm not anymore, you know, to do presentations or to speak in front of a, even a group of 20, but she was the one who really called me to step forward, you know, and do this. And so I went on a walk in the woods, which is how I have always gathered information. It's one of my places. I go for a walk and I say, you know, I ask questions. What am I supposed to bring back to my community? Um, What's the framework, you know, and so on, right? How do I help people have a healthy, savvy, creative, conscious relationship to money? I think those were some of the questions I was asking. So came home, I was living in a tiny cabin in the Redwoods with my boyfriend, now husband, many years later, and we just threw up white paper. I mean, after that, that walk, and we came up with these three phases. So I have to credit him because he's such a good namer and he helped me really organize it, right? So the first phase is money healing, which I called financial, we called financial therapy back in the day. But I think my body of work, it's a financial therapy methodology. So the first one is money healing. This first phase and money healing, money practices and money maps all need to work together, right? So the book covers all three, the year-long program covers all three. Like once you come to the end, then you have a full framework that you can then practice over and over and over. Money healing is where we start. I don't get to the practical first, that's second and third. I want to help you understand what are the set of money emotions that come up for you, number one. So the very first tool is that body check-in where you just stop and pause You may have another practice similar to this, right? And there are so many money moments in every day when we're gonna go online and look at our numbers, when we're gonna go have a money conversation with clients or our partner or our children or our parents, you know, when we're making a money decision and on and on. There's so many money moments. And so I, this practice is to stop and pause and check in with your body on a physical level sensation level, emotional level, and what's, where's your breathing, right? And just to check in, be curious, be open. There's no right way. Um, There's no right way of what you're supposed to see of what's going on in your body. You're just curious. So what's going on in all of those levels? And it's, it's just taking stock of where are you? It's helping you slow down, get present. It helps you, you know, tune in with your body, your sensations. And then also what are the emotions that are present, right? Is it shame? Is it anxiety? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it checking out of your body? Is it, you know, other things that are related to more the emotions like the regret or the guilt, right? So that's a little body check-in. So I'm giving you number one tools 
on how to just take stock of what's going on, slow down, check in. But from there as a practice, right, awareness is step one, just like taking note of what's going on. And then from there, it can move into understanding and change. So from there, we can start to understand what I call a money story. And money story is everything you learn from your childhood, right? The, this, the beauty, the pain, the challenges, the strengths, what you learn from mom or dad or moms or grandparents, whoever was raising you, you know? And, and what are you doing the same as them? Where are you rebelling? Where, you know, where do you want to be nothing like them? Um, and then also your own unique personality, because, you know, in any household, I have three siblings and my siblings were pretty much designated savers, like age five. I was designated spe uh, spender, you know, and, you know, it's interesting what roles we take on based on family dynamics, based on our own personalities and nature. Um, it took me a while to realize I can be a spender and a saver right? We're not just one. <laughs> so it's starting to understand, you know, what is your money story? And, you know, what's working, what's not, what's healthy, what's not, you know, where do you want to make changes? So the money healing part is all about understanding the emotions that come up, learning tools to work with them. Um, because sometimes we can have really huge emotions, you know, 85% to 90% of our money decisions are based on our emotions. So wow. it's really good to understand what's running the show, right? And, and not that they're going to go away, because they won't. We're human, but they can diminish. We can catch them quicker. We can be in a car dealership hyperventilating, my story, you know, and go to the bathroom to do a little body check-in, calm yourself down. You know, the first time you do a body check-in, you may not calm yourself down, but eventually you'll learn how to do that to get your breath down in your body to understand what's the anxiety, where is it coming from, what do you need to do? And so the whole money healing part is about learning your money emotions, your money story. There's pieces around forgiveness. We learn healing rituals, right? It's, that, it's all the beginning tools that you will then take to the next two phases. And the next phase, I'll try and be a little more brief, is money practices. And this is, hey, you know, we all have self-care practices in our life right? Or we all have practices, whether it's e eating healthy, you know, whether it's exercising, whether it's meditation practice, whether it's right, uh, whether it's face, you know, taking, washing your face every night, you know, putting, doing your lotion routine. So there's always these, these practices, right? So it's wonderful to create some practices around money too. And I love teaching about money dates and money dates could be five minutes a day. They could be 10 minutes every few days, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, twice a week, and so on. And, you know, money date is just sitting down and saying, hey, money, what do you need right now? Like, you know, well, how am I feeling? Let's do a body check-in. And then, you know, for me, it's always setting the space because that's important to me. I always light my candles, always get out the dark chocolate, you know, get out my essential oils, whatever, what, you know, whatever your thing is, clear your desk, play whatever music feels good you know, set some intention. Um, we're going to, you know, be present here for 15 minutes, you know, and then what needs, what needs my attention around money right now? Do I, would it be helpful to go online and look at my balances? Would it be helpful to pick a bookkeeping system um, and start to learn it or find a trainer who can hold my hand and show me how to do it? Do I need a new account? I mean, there's always next steps, right? And so this whole money practice section is 
let's create some daily, weekly, monthly money practices and get some money dates going with yourself, with your partner, with your family eventually when they're, you know, older, age appropriate. Um, and then I add in a whole piece about values and I love to rename things. So usually people hate the word budget. So we're going to rename it, you know, to, I used to call it a map of intention. Um, now I call it money maps, right? So there's, but you can rename that damn debt to, you know, a big life transition or going back to school or that big trip around the world I took or, you know, or health crisis that I'm, you know, making my way through, like you get to rename it in any way that honors what that really was instead of just that damn debt and it's bad. So this is a little bit about money practices. It's about learning a bookkeeping system, starting to add in a lot more of the practical things, but in a creative way. And then to complete money maps is how do you make good money decisions and what phase, what life phase are you in? And instead of a budget, let's create a money map. And what does that even mean and look like? And so I, I can say more about all of that. I know I'm like, I gave the, the smallest amount of detail on the money map, but so it's money healing, money practices, money maps. In the year long, it's four months each. So they each get, you know, their time. And again, they build on each other. You want to bring the somatic tools to when you're learning a bookkeeping system or when you're having a new money conversation or when you're starting to plan for a year out or longer. And, and so on. So they all eventually talk to each other. And it's a framework that, as I mentioned, you learn, and then you practice over and over and over, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to learn from them, fine tune, and be fine tuning until the day that we die. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a little bit in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, thank you for sharing. And when I first read all that in the book, I was, I was just like, wow, I have all these self-care practices, but I never linked it to money. And money for me has often been so devoid of emotion, so logical. I always forget whether it's left or right brain, but just not, not pleasurable. And the idea of creating money dates and even renaming my categories, because that was revelationary to me that I could actually give myself permission. So I, I changed the category of food to nourishment because it just felt more yummy and more um, just, yeah, just felt more yummy. And just the permission to get creative with this area of our lives and to meet it from a place of love and curiosity and, and pleasure, like you say, get the chocolate out and make it into this yummy space to, to, to work with it rather than something that so many people fear or dread or avoid totally. So it was just, it's so beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the book is, you know, it's for all the folks who already have so many of these practices in other areas of their life, and they just have never brought it to their relationship to money for so many different reasons. And then there's people who don't have practices and this is all new, but it's for a lot of the folks that already are doing these practices and just need um, the perspective, the permission, the, you know, the invitation to say, hey, all of this that you do in every other area of your life, bring it to your money relationship too. It needs it, it wants it. It will really change how you relate and make it more enjoyable, make it more meaningful, make it more creative and pleasurable. And you demystify it as well. You giving, because for me, it was always a, a, an area that felt almost overwhelming to where do I look at and financial advisors and all these people would just feel 
heavy and so opening it up the way you did it's like oh yeah here's all these choices and here's all the steps I can take right what makes sense next and it just made it much more doable and easy to take decisions forward going forward wonderful wonderful and you know we have to take this in baby steps and bite-sized chunks right and there's so much to learn and we're learning it as adults, most of us. And there is an entire chapter and month and module in my program where I define like, what's a financial planner? What's an accountant? What's a financial coach? What's a bookkeeper? And you don't add, you know, I, I suggest you add them on your team, but you don't add them all at the same time. You know, you add one at a time and what you learn what all the different roles and specialties are. And I refer to them all the time and we collaborate, but sometimes you can't go to a financial planner until you've done all the work that, you know, you do in my book and my methodology, and then you'll feel so much more ready to learn, you know, to even plan out five years out or to, or to even be able to read an investment statement and so on. Yes. And why do you feel that money from your experience that money is such a big topic for people that can feel so scary and too much because you talked about lack of education. What else is, can be contribute to that? There's a few things. I think in the past, I used to always say it's simply that this is one of the big taboo areas. Like we've already talked about around sexuality, right? Money, sex, death, right? And so there's that. There's just that this is a huge taboo. It's been, it's changing. It's really, really, really changing. There's way more conversations. Um, and that's changing, right? There's They're bringing financial literacy, literacy into school sometimes. So many parents are learning financial literacy and then being able to pass it down, right? So there's, there's still that. It's still like a huge missing piece in our education. The other piece though, is that there's a huge missing piece in our emotional literacy education. And so, you know, to have both of those together in school, we're not learning somatic tools. We're not learning how to check in with our bodies. We're not learning how to listen to what's going on. What are our sensations? What are emotions and giving us tools on how to self-regulate now that's changing. It's, you know, so that's a huge part of it is that it simply is not, you know, it's been, you don't talk about money, no matter if you come from a very wealthy family, middle class or lower income family, there's so you do not in the past, it was do not talk about this, you know, so there's shame, there's we, we don't talk about this outside of the family. So there's that there's the taboo, there's the shame, there's the missing educational pieces from both ends, right. But as we're also really now, I mean, okay, you know, I'm a Jewish woman, I walk around in a white body. So there's a lot of privilege that I have, and there's a lot of othering as well. And there's been a lot of discrimination. So my bias in the world is, this is how I, you know, I see the world is my family all escaped Ukraine. They all escaped Kiev and, you know, in the early 1900s and they had to start over. And then, you know, um, those are my grandparents. And, and so, and then their money stories passed down to my parents passed down to me right? Some beautiful things and very challenging things. Um, And so our money stories and our experiences are also based on our lineage and the class that we grew up in. And as it's coming to, I was, I say all that because that's my bias and that's where my work was created from. But I, you know, we're all coming to, and any person of color would have told you this, you know, as a young child, but 
there's so much systemic racism and systemic equality in how our money systems have been set up as well, that that's all really coming to the forefront in my communities um, more and more and more. And so, um, you know, there's a lot to unpack there as well of why this is so hard or challenging for so many people from different lineages and backgrounds. So you put that all together, right? And that's why now I teach, my methodology is mostly a micro, your you know, methodology relationship to yourself, um, your partner, your family, your work, a little bit of your, your community. And then we've added in macro pieces around the wealth gap, around social justice investing, and beautiful storytelling um, money memoir series where I interview folks from all different lineages who share you know, their journeys and their stories. Mm -hmm. So, and in, in that's part of my work and program as well. But that's another piece of why this is so challenging and hard. And it's really time to be looking at all of this, yeah. The money memoir sort of like a podcast that you do around interviews with people. Yeah, I started that in 2013, and so seven, almost, we're getting on a decade soon of that, nine years, and yeah, I interview folks from all different lineages and economic classes, and um, they share, you know, their celebrations, their triumphs, they share their challenges, their stories about, you know, grandparents growing up Japanese in the U.S., and having to go into camps in World War II and how that affected them and their money story and um, different, you know, Jewish folks and different Asian folks and different um, folks in the black community and on and on and on. And so, yes, that is, that is a podcast interview series, but it's also just something I've done on my blog Amazing. and it's a part of the program too. Yeah. I'll put a link to that in the show notes because I think sharing those stories is just the, 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 the as it's so taboo, I'm sure those stories are just incredible to listen to, to hear um, where people come from with their money story. And, and that, you know, it's a big piece of how we unshame, yep. how we learn from each other, how we real, realize we're not alone, how we even realize like we hear different unique money stories and lineage in class stories, but then we also realize there's a lot of universal themes too. And there's a lot of challenges that we share, even if we come from a different economic class or even if we come from a different lineage. Yes. Yeah. And as your work is so much about, part of it is about the clearing of shame. One of the things that struck me as well about the book was the gentle approach. And I think when we can understand all these different levels, we can have more compassion and forgiveness with ourselves as to where we are. Well, and that's huge, right? Yep. Because when I started looking at the money books that were out there 25 years ago, you know, they're all written by men. Um, they're all written by white men. They all had a very tough love. You know, there's one way to do money. This is how you do it. Otherwise you've really messed up, you know, and you're in some deep shit. I can swear, right? I mean, I yep. <laughs> You know, I, <laughs> and you're in some deep shit and that's, you know, and I just remember reading all of that going, God, I grew up with a lot of tough love with in my own household with my father and I don't need any more of that. And, 
you know, that's not going to work for me. And I just knew that I needed a much more gentle, compassionate, loving approach. It's not that I don't bring in tough love in other moments, or I can't be sassy or tough with my husband or, you know, but, you know, with, as an approach as a whole, it was, you know, why continue to beat yourself up for so-called past mistakes? We all make them, you know, we really have to bring compassion and some love and some gentleness, some small doses to start and increase from there, um, you know, and, and honor who we were at that time, what, you know, and what got us there, our money story, family history, and learn who we were at that time and how, yeah, we would do things differently now and we can change our money stories and we can step into a different financial identity. And so much of that comes from me about adding in the gentleness, you know, and the compassion. And some people, you know, have a hard time with this at the beginning. And by the end, they're like, oh, I get it now. Or they're, they're pissed at me that I'm suggesting, you know, to be gentle or compassionate, you know, and then they finally go, oh, I've been really critical and mean to myself about how I've done things, you know, or I have my parental voices in my head of how they would do things. And guess what? We all do money differently, the way we earn and spend and save and give. We even may have the same values on the surface, but when we go to do those things, it shows up differently. But usually, well, a lot of us have different values than our family of origin, right? Or we would do things differently. So they're going to have their way. We're going to have our way. We're going to have to learn how to stand in that, right? And a lot of that comes from really honoring who we are and who we're not and bringing a lot more compassion to it all. Yeah, and the world needs a lot more compassion. And yes. so thank you for that. And also I see at the moment as well, there's this sort of been this trend the last few years of uh, you should have a million pound business, six figure business and all of this in the sort of in my world. And there's adverts all the time for courses on this, that and the other. And that's like a whole nother approach that's emerged. And so many conversations I've had with people where they feel that that's just not for them, but feel shame around that. Or is there something up with for them or they feel so far away from that? that they feel shame. And so there's been lots of conversations where I feel what your book offers is like a, your methodology is like this middle way of something that's sustainable to build those foundations from that you can take it wherever you want to. Right, and for some people, it will be a six figure, maybe yeah. seven figure business, yeah. right? Depending on what phase of life they're in, what their goals are. But that's certainly not for everyone, yeah. right? It's yeah. it's not, and to really know, you know, why, the why, the deeper meaning of, you know, why are you going for that seven figure goal? I mean, in the U.S., we have, you know, we got to pay a lot of taxes, and we got to pay for health insurance, and we got to, you know, there's a lot of things we have to pay for. I have Canadian friends that are always saying, I understand why you, you all need to make more money because of just healthcare alone, right? Um, but yes. It, there's so much in the online coaching world of raise your pricing always or charge what you're worth. And I, you know, that's not true. And I mean, for me, how can you charge what you're worth? You can never put a dollar amount to our value, our true value. And it's not always true to raise your prices. Sometimes the move, the right move is to raise your prices. There have been times where I lowered my pricing when I, I was stuck at getting 50 people in my three month 
program when my son was about two, three years old. And I had more of a mid price, maybe even a little higher. And I decided to one, change it to a year long program, but lower the price point to make it more accessible. And I went from like pulling teeth to get 50 people to um, 320 people signing up the first year long program opening I did. And so you just never know, right? It's an experiment, right? It's always an experiment. Like what, what are some little adjustments and then you see how it works. So I've raised my prices. I've lowered my prices. You really, there's no one right way. And so, yes, my book is more the middle way. Find your own way based on what phase of life you're in. And my equation is always, it's not like exact numbers, but time, energy, money, health, and family. So I'm always looking at those five things when I'm making any big money decision, new program decision, am I going to take a trip and so on. Mm. And you, you use the words a lot, mama, mamapreneur. <laughs> you know, I don't use that anymore. My 13 year okay. about a year ago, I started out with mommypreneur and then we moved <laughs> to mamapreneur. And about a year ago, my son said, you know what, you really got to take that off your website. It's not professional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so much of, you know, I had my son when I was 40. And so I'm, I consider myself an older mom, even though I have girlfriends who had their first, you know, in their 40s, later 40s. Um, so I'm a proud older mom. And so much of my business decisions and business model and money decisions have been based on, you know, what's, where am I in my parenting? And where's my health and where's my energy and where's time. And when we were younger, how much I wanted to be with him so much, you know, before he really went off to school and so on. So yes, it's, it's been a big influence on everything. And you mentioned, we spoke a little bit about the beginning about perimenopause as well. And, you know, these things that we have in our life that we have to, how can we balance business with a life that allows for the space to parent and to be that present committed parent, the space to honor the phases of life that we're going through. Me too, I'm in perimenopause and last year, I had to just let go of developing or putting any energy into my business other than keeping it ticking over because I just literally had to divert it elsewhere and that's what I needed to do. And I'm so blessed to have that. How's your experience been? So that's similar. I'll tell two little stories here and I'll go back to, and I'll end with the menopause story. But the story was, you know, having my son at 40, we, you know, I always say in any journey that there's beautiful moments, easeful moments, and really kick your butt challenging moments. <laughs> so, so we conceived first try and then pregnancy was pretty good. You know, I was even sleeping um at the, the you know it's where at the end we went to 42 weeks we you know we went up to the very end and um in the states or well actually in my state Colorado you have to show up in the hospital unfortunately you can't have a home birth after 42 weeks um they want you to have the you, they want you to have the baby so um anyway I had to be induced I had to drink vodka and castor oil shots oh, wow <laughs> I was still like so desperately wanting a home birth, right? And that's not what happened. Um, wound up in the hospital, but I had to have somewhat of an emergency C-section. And so I was in quite a recovery. 
And I had to change like the whole plan, right? I had a business partner. I had two virtual assistants. I had a whole team of bookkeeping uh, trainers and financial coaches under my umbrella. And within four months, I had um, dissolved all of that. You know, four months of post being a mom, thinking I was just going to like continue all of that, you know, easy peasy. And I could have continued. There's so many different ways to go about doing that, but it felt right at four months to dissolve that. And I wound up saying, okay, what are my new questions now? So my new questions are, what can I do with my work that I love the most, that will bring in the most income while I'm recovering? while I'm significantly recovering in bed, you know, what can I do 10 hours a week? You know, where I was, I was working 40, 50, 60, cause I, I would, I loved it and had the energy, right? So what that, and when I asked that question, I always say, you got to ask just different questions and see what you get. And in that moment it was, oh, my group program, you know, I, I, it's natural, comfortable. I love doing it. Right. And so I did two of those that year. That was all I could do for almost two years until I fully recovered, until he was sleeping. And then that's when I opened up the year-long program and had that big shift, right? So fast forward to menopause, I've been in perimenopause for five years. (laughs) And um, I, you know, it's been incredibly challenging. (laughs) And thank God for um, natural hormones, you know, bioidentical hormones, right? At the beginning helps so much. And my God, were the emotions beyond the spectrum, beyond any spectrum that I was comfortable working with. Like they were enormous Um, and so many other symptoms, right? So I had to shift everything. It was like, what can I do, you know, with not a lot of energy? And, And for me, it was the year long program that I could just continue to run easily. But to complete that, it's I've had the idea of doing some kind of training or certification. I've been asked to do this for over a decade by therapists and financial coaches and planners. And I kept doing the research and then coming to no, no, <laughs> no. And I, you know, I don't have the energy for this. I just don't. I need to be resting. And and I'm just about, I, I thought I was in menopause, but I'm not. But I just, and I made some shifts health-wise and my energy is rearing, like roaring back. And I'm going to be launching that program in May. So we, we have to listen to health, energy, what life phase we're in, you know, and make our decisions from that. And sometimes it is like, what can I do in the smallest hours that makes me the most money, Right. And, and can it be, it might not be my biggest love, but maybe it's like somewhere in the middle, but it's not soul sucking, right? It's somewhere in the middle or, um, and we're not always doing things we love, right? But just what's something that we know we do really well. And that's always just shifting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where uh, different business models come in, I guess. In ter- I'd love you to speak to that because that's a, a passion for you. Yeah. of how we can create models that support our, for, for the entrepreneurs that are listening, that support our work-life balance and support the dynamics and moving and shifting of our lives. Right. And we're also different here, right? Yeah. What age we are, what life phase we're in, again, energy levels, things I've already talked about, right? Yeah. That energy, time, health, money, family equation. 
And I've had probably six different business models over the last 21 years. And, you know, they work well for a while and then something stops working, you know, something starts feeling good or you can't fill a class that you used to be able to, or something's like, feel stuck. And it, you know, it's hard. It feels, you go into the hopeless. Should I keep doing this? Should I just stop doing my work in the world and stop running my business? And, you know, I've been there many times. Um, but you always need to just keep checking in. I mean, my first business model was just me where I was doing the bookkeeping and, um, that was my main gig, you know, is having bookkeeping clients and then, which was great for a while, you know, and then that moved into starting to do financial therapy sessions with couples and, and then starting to do my small groups. And then there was a year where it was time for me to switch, let go of all my bookkeeping and move just into leading groups. And I remember I was able to like um, make the income that I made, you know, and switch it in that year, which was wonderful. And then I felt I did that for a year or so. And then I felt like I was starting to get stuck. I was starting to sit under a money ceiling. So we all have money ceilings, right? It could be the hourly amount that we're stuck at or that we've never made beyond, right? It could be a monthly amount. It could be a yearly amount, right? There's so many, and it doesn't mean something's wrong, but we all just have money ceilings. And it's good to look at that. Is there a dollar amount you've never made more than? Is there a monthly amount? Is there a year amount, a salary or income that you know, you've never made before? You know? And so you know, that's one way of looking at it. But so I hit that when I was doing my groups and there was just so many groups I could lead and fill within one year period, right? And so I was feeling stuck and I was living in an apple orchard. And the metaphor was all the apples are being eaten off my tree. Like it felt <laughs> like all, you know, like there was nothing left over, you know, there was no big extra. And then all of a sudden women started coming to me saying, you know what, I'm in corporate accounting, but I'm doing this yoga training on the side. Or I'm doing, I'm a bookkeeper with a bookkeeping practice and I want to go back to graduate school to be a therapist or counselor. And all these women started coming to me saying, I want to be in your team. And I was looking around going, what team are you talking about? You know? And then I was like, ah, uh, you know, light bulb, bring them under your umbrella because I'm great at giving those initial talks. Here's the methodology, you know, here's the practices and tools, you know, invite everyone to take next steps. And then I would say, go to my bookkeeping trainer. She'll show you how to use, you know, Quicken, QuickBooks, whatever it is, right? Or go to my financial coach and she'll show you how to do a money map. And so I was teaching my groups and doing free talks everywhere and anywhere. And then they would go and hire my team and we split a percentage. Um, what was it? They got 70 and I got 30. Right. And then I grew like my income level took a big leap, you know, so and then that worked for four years and then I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as I already told that story, right, had to change the business model. And so there's always been these moments, these models, they last for a while and then something's not working anymore. My longest business model was the year long program, launching it twice a year for a deck for almost a decade. And then COVID pandemic put a little wrench in that a little bit, even though it was an online business, things shifted and had to do something different. So business models are just really the framework and structure of, you know, 
what are the offerings? What are the services you're giving? How much are you charging? What's your pricing? How many people do you need to have in each group? You know, um, to hit numbers that you want to hit. Now, why do you want to hit those numbers? Well, that's where you go back to your personal finances and what's going on there. And what are your dreams and goals? And they each are separate. So you want to eventually do a money map, one for your business, you know, do some financials projections and one for your personal. And what are your personal goals? Do you want to travel more? Do you want to, you know, uh, dine out more? <laughs> you know, do you want to um, take dance classes? Do you want to, you know, whatever your thing is, um, do you want to take cooking classes? You know, just so, you know, they, they influence each other, your personal goals and your business goals and the numbers certainly influence each other instead of just like this abstract, I want to make six figures. I want to make seven figures, or I want to donate a certain amount each month. Right. Or I need to pay down debt. And I also want to really be um, working on my future and, you know, savings and retirement in a new way. Right. So that also influences how we create a business model and how we want to put our work out in the world. And then there are these moments where health issues or perimenopause just takes us down and we have to accept where we are and do what we can. And so it's not always a growth year, right? Sometimes it's simply maintenance year and those are good too. And sometimes we're, you know, having a health challenge like when I had my son and I was in a recovery year and we were dipping into a big chunk of the savings we put away you know? So every year is different and nothing's forever. And, you know, you, I think a lot of self-talk needs to happen in those moments. If you're in a trans transition moment, like hang in there, this is not forever. You know, we'll come out in a year or two in a different place, ready to grow again, honoring here, here's where I'm at in a grief period or in whatever transition you're in. Yeah. 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 And I love what you share just about that honoring of it. Um, and, you know, because for me last year, I felt like I was in winter for the whole year <laughs> and never got out to see spring or summer. Yes. And just honoring yes. that. And I also love what you say in those times, you've mentioned it a couple of times, is to ask yourself good questions. So what is possible? This podcast was born out of that time because I didn't have any energy for anything. And I said, OK, if I do one creative thing, that I'm going to really enjoy doing and just allow myself to do it when I have the energy, what would it be? And I sat with it and it's like, it's time to create a podcast. And that was my like treats and allowing my creativity, but that's all I had room for. So there's something about asking those great questions and, or it might be, where's my business going to go next? Or what do I want to shift and change? And so that self-talk um, uh, uh, combined with those questions is a very different place to be in to just be um to move forward with or just to stay where you are but just allow it to happen knowing it will pass <laughs> yes yes hmm. wonderful i love that this podcast came out of that you know that deep reflection inquiry of i don't have a lot of energy i'm still in winter <laughs> what, what's going on <laughs> i'm in winter and what is one thing one new creative thing that i can do Beautiful. Yeah. And I'd love to ask before I forget, because it's so important, this topic is around couples and money. Yeah. And so I'd love you to speak about your experiences with couples and money, the sort of things that come up, and also to share some of your wisdom that might help some of the couples listening. Yeah. 
to this? So, you know, there's so much to say. So here's a little <laughs> bit, right? So couples, as I mentioned um, already, is that no two people earn and spend and save and give and invest and loan in the same way. Even if they come from the same lineage economic class, you know, then it's our personalities and our nature and, you know, responded or reacted to that environment differently. So you get two people coming together and we're just different. And, you know, that can be horrifying in moments. <laughs> um, and usually a lot of couples do polarize. You know, one person is kind of hypervigilant. They want to be tracking the numbers, looking at them all the time, sitting down, planning, budgeting, you know, and the other person is like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Like, I'm going to go stick my head in the sand and I, I, you know, one person is a big risk taker. One person is terrified of risk. I mean, the, you know, these are just extremes, but some, a lot of couples do polarize. So it's just good to identify what you are, what you're not. But again, don't let that be static. We can change, right? So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it took, I, I realized at some point I can be a spender and a saver, right? And that we're just not one. We're not stuck in one. So don't get, let yourself be stuck in, you know, my spouse is really good with money because they have a finance degree or business degree. Well, guess what? They don't learn about personal finances. So they may know how to do a spreadsheet and that's it, you know, or they may be good with numbers, but, you know, I've worked with couples where this was a, a male female couple and he got the finance degree and he kept sitting her down with the spreadsheets, like whipping out the spreadsheets to show her how to do it. And she was like, get this away from me, you know? And she had to eventually learn her own bookkeeping system that made sense for her. He had to realize he doesn't know everything about money. He certainly doesn't know how to deal with the emotions, you know? And so he had a lot to learn that he wasn't the, he didn't know everything. Like he didn't know, you know, he wasn't the teacher for his wife. She needed her own process and journey. They, they came and did my program and he was pretty skeptical at first. And then he wound up learning a lot and loving it. And it really helps their relationship go from like fighting, swearing, ending in tears and, you know, people running off, you know, to learning how to have a new kind of a money day. So this is one of the things that I teach is instead of like just whipping out the spreadsheets or talking about the numbers, I do a different order. So we, it's a simple four-step process. Number one is story time. So just start to have some money dates where you tell stories, you know, your money stories. What did you learn from your grandparents? What was your first money memory? What role did you have in your family? You know, all this stuff, right? That couples sometimes don't even talk about until 10 years in, 20 years in, or, you know, there's so much new things that they can learn. And, you know, we're just same, similar to sex talks. Like we need to have money dates. We need to have sex dates. Like where you're just talking about what's working, what's not, what you want, what, you know, um, 21 years into my marriage, like that's something I'm really realizing is like so important to be adding in. And we're working on that. Um, just talking like time just to talk about it, you know? Um, and so money days, you start out with story time, number one, and you may even like set the container. You get 15 minutes. I get 15 minutes. You don't get to respond. Like we're everyone there. Everyone's sitting in their own seat doing their own body check-in, watching what their reactions are, you know, noticing when judgment is coming up, you know, or blame is coming up, you reel it in, you sit in your own seat, you just listen, 
you know, you each get 15 minutes. So that's like, that's the beginning story time. Then from there, you know, and there's no, like you finish this and then you move on to step two, but step two is, um, you know, who's, oh, excuse me. Step two is values. Okay. Meaning again, like, what are your values? And then how do you earn your money and spend your money and save? Because couples again can have similar values on the surface but when they go to do those things it's different so me and my husband is similar values but when we go to spend money he'll buy big ticket items like fancy road bikes which used to horrify me where I am like get me the acupuncture get me the lotions get me the facials but you know he wasn't horrified but he was like well I don't do any of that and we want once like we added up all of my stuff, my self-care over two years, and that like equaled a, a road bike, you know? <laughs> so, but we had to have lots of conversations about that because at first I was scared about the bike purchases and right. So we just had to have conversations about values and what's important to us. And he got to make his case for the expensive road bike and all of that. And I got to stand in, well, this is what's important to me. Third step is who's on what, like Who's doing the bookkeeping? Who's transferring the money? Who's keeping an eye on the accounts? And you know, that may shift. Like I did our bookkeeping for years. And then when I got pregnant, my husband woke up one day and said, I'm going to take it over. I was like, okay, you know, so let yourself be surprised, you know? <laughs> and then he took it over. Um, you know, one of you may want to track more closely, but I would say you, you both need to come in like every month or so. And it could be great to work with a financial coach, you know, or a planner that you go and meet with a third party who can just sit and answer questions and, you know, or even a, ther a financial therapist to sit with you, right? Um, or a bookkeeper to look at all the numbers and once a month or to plan. And then the fourth is getting on the same team and really realizing you're on the same team. So, you know, do you want to leave your job or, you know, do we want to move somewhere or, you know, or would you want to travel more or, you know, are we going through health stuff and so on? So those are the four steps, story time, values, discussions, who's on what and the practical and then getting on the same team. And that's just, you know, one little framework that couples can start to do to have a new kind of money date because either they're ignoring it, they're not having any money dates or they're fighting about it or the person is like getting the credit card bill and running to their partner while they're in the shower, bringing it up before bed. None of that's good, but you know, I'm sure we've all done it all. And just learning to say, hey, would now be a good time to, ask, to have a money date or can we schedule a money date? Or would now do five minutes that I can ask you um, some money, some quick money questions. I mean that just there is gold just that that I, I share that all the time with my clients is just to ask are you available for this conversation right now yes. and then if not when and just that can transform communication because like you say it's can we speak about this now and especially when it's um stuff that's very um activating that the you just want to go, I'm just going to rush. I mean, I've done it a million times. I've just got to say this, I've got to say this. And then it's just not at the right time. And then it's inevitably going to end not in a good place. And so just creating time and space where you're both present to talk about these things, to hear each other can just change the conversation alone. And I love that you, you have couples sharing their money stories. I mean, that just must be so healing and um, 
you know, like you say, couples are probably 10, 20 years into their relationship who've not had these discussions. Just that alone, I'm, I'm imagining, is powerful. It is. And it's not always, it's usually not comfortable. Yeah. It usually brings up so much at the beginning. And, you know, because each person is at their own um, point in like working through shame or working, you know, with their anxiety or the regret or no two people are like at the same place of doing it. So we have to, you know, and, and, and we each have strengths and challenges. We each have different things to bring to the table. Right. So, yes. Amazing. Thank you so much. So it has been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any final wisdom that you'd love to share? Oh, start doing some body check-ins. Mm. Yeah. If you're going to take one next step, I always say, start doing some, just checking in with your body. You know, what's going on physically? Are your shoulders up to your ears? Are they down? What sensations are present? what emotions are present, where your breathing is. And then I always like to end the body check-in with what's one little adjustment I can make, like lowering my shoulders or a little shoulder shimmy or trying to get my breath deeper in my body or loosening my jaw. And just know that there are so many daily money moments that you can bring this little tool to. And it's not one and done. It's something that you practice over and over. And every time you have a new money interaction, um, it's wonderful to bring it to. And it's wonderful to bring it to it. It's something to do before money conversations and money decisions, but it's something else to do in the heat of the moment when you like wake up and realize what's going on, you know? Or if you forget all of that afterwards as a debriefing, how did that go? You know, what would I have done differently? What can I do differently next time? You know, so for me, body check-ins is a learning tool as well. It's an awareness tool. It's an understanding tool. And it can happen before, during, or after, or all the above in all these money interactions. So please start adding that in. Yeah, I love that because just bringing that awareness because I'm imagining for you know noticing that gosh actually there's a lot of fear in my body or there's a lot of I'm wanting to run away or I'm wanting to hide all these different things that maybe we don't notice are happening around our money decisions so just bringing that awareness um, or, the, or my breathing's not present or all these different things to start to unravel our relationship with money um, in such a gentle and, and very simple but deeply profound way so thank you body check-ins so this is a sexy life podcast so I'd love to ask the final question of what does living a sexy life mean to you in the broadest of sense so sexy life for me sexy sensual life is you know is being able to find pleasure um, in my body with myself, with my partner, just in, I mean, through dancing, um, you know, through feeling and my energy coming back in. Um, so it's, for me, it's just feeling that extra spark um, <laughs> within my body that comes through. And, I, you know, perimenopause has given me a real challenge on, you know, and where to find it, where to locate that. And I feel like that's, you know, so it comes and goes, comes and goes. And dancing always brings me there. 
Um, but lately it's been this shift in energy and just feeling it from within. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So where can people find you online? I'll put everything in the show notes, but to ask you that as well. Yeah. So my website, barrytesler.com blog, podcast, you can find it all there. My program, my book, um, and then Instagram and Facebook are the two social media places that I like to hang out. Fabulous. And I highly, highly recommend The Art of Money, your book. And I'll put a link, as I say, to all of that in the show notes. So thank, thank you. you so, so much for your wisdom and your time today. It's so appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sarahrosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.